call it a comb back I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. So my first question is, why in the hell don't the Rams have indoor plumbing? This is the press box. You're not at a great point in your life when you have to take a dump in a port of trip, right? True. That's not a great day for you. With Grainy and Bischoff. Shove it in. Someone from the Hard Knocks who took a dump in the port of <laughs> Like, they immediately blame the media. Like, we get blamed for everything. It's fine to blame us for, like, if you want to think we're negative. But we got to draw the line that we're taking the dumps in the port of no. At that point, I draw the line. Haven't heard that one in a while. Ed Greeny, Tyler Bischoff, Angels here, and Jared's running the show back to the studio. We are live at the Westgate yet again. Game start in the 9 o'clock hour, but first, a lot of basketball to talk about locally. Here we go. The first bite. Did UNLV make a good hire with Kevin Krueger? Can I wait for a year from now to t- answer that? Only question? one year? Well, two, If you're going to wait, you might as well wait Can a wait decade. Three? Huh? Can I wait? <laughs> I will say, though. He is, uh, wrote this morning, he is home. The journey is here. It will not be in two years, uh, you know, like, uh, well, he did go to Arizona State. He for did. Two Wait a minute. Is yes. Bobby Hurley in trouble? Exactly. <laughs> All right. I have no idea if Kevin Kruger is no. going to be a good coach. Literally no clue because we've never seen him coach. And so I, like, what style of play is he going to use? I I don't have any idea. Does he keep some of the things that TJ Otzelberger has been doing? Is he more likely to do what his dad, Lon Kruger, has done, even though I think Lon changes his offense every single year, depending on who his players are. He's certainly not running the same thing he was when Trey Young was there. Right. So I, I on like as far as on court goes, I, I don't know what to expect. Like when Otzelberger came from South Dakota State, when Menzies came from New Mexico State, we had a base of, hey, this is what they did at their previous school. This is what they're going to try to do here. We don't have that with Kevin Kruger. So I, I have literally no idea. And then the other, you know, big important part of college basketball coaching is recruiting. recruiting. And Kevin Kruger's been an assistant. He's been recruiting for a while. But I personally don't know how much credit he deserves for what recruits have been, whether he was in northern Arizona, Oklahoma, or here. I don't know what, you know, he's viewed as a recruiter or how good of a recruiter he is. So I, I don't know. I think... He's been he's been great with us. I think he's going to be good with the media and that side of it. I think he's going to be great with the fan base. Yes, that doesn't matter as much as being a good recruiter and being a good coach on the floor. So, I don't know. I'm I'm with you in the standpoint of you know know. we kind of have to wait to see if it's a good hire. Uh, I will say this though, I think it's fair to criticize the coaching search as uh, lazy or boring or whatever word you want to use there because ultimately. UNLV hired an assistant coach who doesn't have head coaching experience from a coaching staff that uh, was leading a team that wasn't very good last year. Yeah, let me a couple things. So in the recruiting or in recruiting uh, force, I can't tell you either. You know, of all the people in the roster, who he recruited. I mean, obviously not Bryce because Bryce came before. Obviously, I don't think Zhang. Uh, but you know, all the freshmen this year, he might have had a big hand in. I don't know that. I do think when you're the head coach, your recruiting responsibilities become a lot different, though. You have to close it. I mean, kids. 
kids at the end of the day, because they're handled by AU guys, they all have handlers. It's a big issue who the head coach is on any program. And you can have great recruiters as your assistants, but in the end of the day, they're going to want to have to play for the head coach. So his his job is different now. I don't know if it's tough or not because, again, like you said, we don't know how big a hand. Maybe he's recruited most of these guys. I don't know. I mean, they have three guys in that staff. Um, uh, another person uh, in terms of the staff with DeMauler who, who has local ties. But I don't know. I, I Again, I do know his job got a lot different last night with not only being the head coach on the floor, but also as the lead recruiter, because that essentially what is a head coach is, is the lead guy. He has to finish it. A kid wants to have to want to play for him. Um, I, I agree he'll be terrific on this side of the things, but he's going to have to win. The expectations, you know, as well as anyone with this program are in 2001, I mean, I think you and I both agree UNLV should be in a position to contend for the Mountain West every year and NSA tournament burst. And after that, as we've seen the last few days in the NSA tournament, it's a crapshoot. I mean, you, you, you go, <laughs> but you got to get there, right? You at least got to get there to take your shot. And they haven't been there since 2013. They haven't won a game in the NSA tournament since his dad was the coach here. So his expectation should be compete every year for that title and get to the NSA tournament. Now, You'll have people still winning and still living in 1990 who think they're above that in terms of going on these deep runs, and that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, but I'm with you. We'll, we'll talk to him at 10 a.m. this morning. He'll be great in that sense because that's what he's going to be really good at to start. But we don't know. And, you know, he's never been one, so I don't think that's a wrong thing to say. If, if something's never, if someone's never done anything, then you have to wait to right. see did it. I will. You'll like this. I know you're going to like this because I did talk to Desiree last night. The first thing or one of the first things I did tell her was to apologize to Josh. He did not get the frequent flyer oh. this time. He had to stay home a lot of the time, oh. and Josh was did not he... able to fly around the country. I was oh. very upset. I did, was he, very, I was... did he spy on Kevin Kruger from, from, uh, from here? <laughs> from, what, from Southern Highland, wherever he lived? Uh, like up on a hill? I, I see him. I see him right now. He's getting in the car. He might be going to Starbucks. I'm not sure. I'll check back later. Uh, so uh, there was not a lot of cross-country flying for, uh, for Josh, but... Yeah, what can you do? This hire, this hire screams of uh, Desiree Reed Francois wanting to keep continuity. Yes, absolutely. That, that's that's yes. the biggest thing I think you should take away from this yes. hire. And here's here's a fun fact for you, Ed. Ken Palm tracks like continuity in the roster from year to year. On who stays, it's, and who goes. It's a percentage of minutes that were on last right, year's team that, that comes back. back the next right. year. And for nine straight seasons, UNLV has not been in the top 200 in minutes continuity. Nine straight seasons, UNLV has basically turned, turned their roster over, over yeah. every single year. This hire is saying UNLV needs continuity, which is, I mean, we've talked about it. It's been a to- talking point of UNLV for years. I mean, it was before Hotzelberger got here as a talking point at UNLV that there's not much roster continuity. Hiring Kevin Kruger gives you a chance to do that. The only question I have on that is... Do you want that? That's the Do thing. you want that from the team that we from just a saw? Place team in the Mountain West. Finish yeah. right. Yeah. And to me, the the UNLV roster as it's currently constructed, there are a lot of solid pieces. Like to me, it's not crazy to think that Caleb Grill or Moses Wood or Devin Tillis could be a useful player on an NCAA tournament team. Right. There's a lot of role players on this roster. You just need to have the two or three star players to make those role players, you know, push them down the pecking order. Even like David Jenkins to me, the way he's a great shooter. If David Jenkins has zero responsibility to create offense, if his only role is to catch and shoot from three, 
that guy might shoot over 50% from three for a season. Yeah, so, but that's a third option. Right. If he's your third option, like, and that to me is when you look at the roster, that's got to be the goal this year. Is I don't know if David Jenkins is going to stick around. Right. No, uh, we'll we'll see what the roster he was turnover seen in ends Ames up being. Yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding out there. We'll see what the roster turnover ends up being. But like, let's say Jenkins stays. You've got to have two players better yes. than him yes. to have any to chance. To win that league. Yeah, to have any chance to win the Mountain West. Yes. And I think the same goes for Bryce Hamilton. We've seen two years in a row a Bryce Hamilton-led team where he's the number one option. And, you know, in year one they were solid in the Mountain West but still weren't really contenders and didn't get close to the NCAA tournament. And this year was a disaster. You can't have Bryce Hamilton as your best player. You've got to have better than that. So that, to me, like when you look at the roster, it's fine if you keep a good chunk of it together. If you keep Devin Tillis, Moses Wood, Caleb Grill, David Jenkins, Nick Blake, and a couple other freshmen, great. Like those guys can be helpful. You just have to, the top end of your roster has to get significantly better. Yeah, and now we'll see. It's funny. Uh, I'm going to ask him at 10. I don't think people will remember this, and it is ironic. The first the first player in basketball, literally college basketball history, to take advantage of the fifth-year transfer rule in 2006 was Kevin Kruger. And now he comes back, and he'll have to get into that same portal. Now you know, now there are thousands of kids, not like when he did it to come play for his dad. But it is ironic that now he's a head coach, and I think you and I agree, he, he's got to get into that portal and get a really good uh, some good players. Can he do it? We'll see. There's a, every, every coach in America has someone hitting refresh every day to see who's in that portal. So you're competing. So you're, you're competing as much, if not more, in the portal now than you would be for a kid who's in high school. I mean, the portal is huge for teams. Look at around the – look at – you know, they're talking about Baylor yesterday. Three of those starters were transfers. I mean, they could win the national championship. you got to get the right ones, and you have a lot of competition. But it is ironic now that he'll be going into that portal, and like you said, trying to get better players than what he has now. And here's the other thing. We don't know who's coming back. We have no idea who's coming back. Uh, or, you know, you, you said before the show, Arthur Kaluma, the big-time recruit. Can he keep him? Yeah. I don't know if he can keep him. Yeah, I don't There's know. Other pe- right now, the minute T.J. Osterberger left, there were like 10 schools calling that kid. Should have been. There, there should have been. Um, with, with the hire, because even if it's a boring hire, even if there's a level of laziness to it because you hired a guy on the staff, I still think this is the the time frame that they made the hire was what UNLV needed if they want to have any chance of being competitive next season. Yeah, like they had to make a hire pretty quickly. And for the coaching search, like from the moment Otzelberger was announced at Iowa State, granted, I assume Desiree was she had she was working before on replacing TJ. But from the moment that Iowa State announced Otzelberger to the moment UNLV announced Kevin Kruger, it was less than four days. And to me, that's that's what they had to do as an athletic department to give next year's team a legitimate shot mm-hmm. at being good. Because, and hell, maybe Kevin Kruger's been doing it since Otzelberger left. I have no idea. Right, maybe he's been, you know, in, in the, the transfer portal yeah, asking, exactly. you know, hey, who's who wants to come to UNLV? Right. I'm still here. I might, st- right. I might still be here. But he has a legitimate chance now to actually land guys in the transfer portal because if this had stretched out even just another week, if this stretches out another week, there could be plenty of names in the transfer portal that are gone. I mean, hell, there's already plenty that are gone now. Yeah, the best exactly. point guard that's in there is already committed to Virginia Tech next year. So this is this is the, the time frame. I don't know if it's the right guy, but it's the right time frame mm-hmm. for UNLV, UNLV to have a chance to be competitive next season. We'll have to see. We'll talk to Kevin at 10 a.m. And, you know, Tyler, guys have done it recently. Every situation is different. People are going to bring up Juwan Howard at Michigan, Patrick Unit, Georgetown. I think every situation is different. So now Kevin Kruger comes back. He's been here, and he's going to, you know, the team that he took the Sweet 16, he'll be the head coach of. And like you said, you got to – 
you got to give it time. There's no other, you know, you, you have to see what he can do, who's on his staff. I think that's going to be important, who's on his staff, who are the recruiters on his staff. Uh, that'll be really, really important uh, at UNLV, who will recruit for him until he kind of tries to come in and close deals. Uh, so I'm with you. It's, it, there's a ton of unknowns. Obviously, continuity mattered. I think it's a very fair question you asked that, you know, if, if it's continuity at Gonzaga or Baylor, places like that, okay, because, you know, you've proven that you're going to be good teams for a long time. It's continuity for a six or seven place in the Mountain West. I don't know. Yeah. In, unless, like you said, he can go get two better players than he has. Then continuity's fine because you can yeah. keep a lot of those other guys. I mean, in, in a, like, ideal scenario, uh, you basically lose your two worst players or two guys that didn't play, like Donovan Yap and Isaac Lindsay. Isaac Lindsay was hurt, so that might not be fair to him. But right. Donovan Yap and Isaac Lindsay are gone, and you replace them with two guys that are better than anybody else on the roster. Right, and that would be a ton of roster continuity, and they'd actually have a chance to win the Mountain West right. next year if they suddenly had two guys that were better than Bryce Hamilton. That's not going to happen because it's college basketball, and probably six guys are going to leave or something like that because that's hell. Six guys probably would have left if Otzelberger was here. Right, that's how it is now. Right. So, but they they can they can be competitive. They have decent pieces. They just again the top end of the roster has to get better. And the good news for UNLV is college basketball in the transfer portal allows for that to happen in a quick turn you you actually can do that in one year you can go get hey yeah these these are going to be our two best players on the team and lots of teams in the mountain west do it i mean Absolutely. san diego state the the best mountain west team we've that's seen in do. years that's what was do. them going and getting malachi flynn yeah. and malachi flynn coming yeah. in as a transfer being the best player in the conference last season and had they actually had an ncaa tournament probably would have gotten a two cool. seed and had a legitimate tournament run. i asked uh I asked over the weekend talking to someone about that team, and they're like, well, they're going to lose this guy, this guy, this guy. And the, and the message back is, all right, let's go in the portal and get more guys. I mean, that's the mindset. And, and in college basketball, a lot of teams have to do that now. It's not recruiting the, the top freshmen and, you know, some guys are going to get Cade Cunningham. Some guys are going to get these one-and-dones. But for the most part, you're not getting those kind of guys. So the, the situation is we'll just go in the portal. There's thousands of kids to choose from. You just got to make the right calls. Yeah. So UNLV can be decent next year. They they actually can be a decent team next season. This hire sets them up to do that. It'll it, and that's honestly the first test of Kevin Kruger. What does this offseason roster turnover look like? Who does he manage to keep? Who does he manage to get out of the transfer portal? Whatever. That's his first big test, and that's the first thing we'll be able to really judge him on going into next season. All right, coming up next, we will jump into the NCAA tournament. We are out here at the Westgate. It is the final day of the second round. Games getting started in the 9 o'clock hour, so come on down and check out all the action. I pay zero attention to seeding. I just want our team to be in the NCAA tournament, and I mean that sincerely. I think we spent too much time debating what is really an irrelevant topic. We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. We're down here at the Westgate Superbook. Final day of the second round of the NCAA tournament, getting started at 9.20 this morning. And as we talk about UNLV having a new head coach and the importance of getting one hired quickly, one of North Carolina's five-star big men is yeah. in the transfer portal Uh-oh. this morning. Better Uh-oh. go get him, TJ Go get him. Go get him. A, Somebody a, get him. He was a top 25 yeah. player in the class last year. He only Somebody played get him. nine minutes a game for North Carolina this past season. But do want to talk about some of the NCAA tournament from over the weekend. Uh, and Loyola Chicago beating Illinois in the second round. Boo! Now, we talked about this when the bracket came out, 
that Loyola Chicago was underseeded and that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee was ignoring pretty much any ranking system that anybody uses in college basketball. Because the, the two main ones that anybody uses now for college basketball, Ken Palm and the net ranking, with the NCAA created itself to you know help them seed teams. Both Ken Palm and the net ranking had Loyola Chicago as a top 10 team in the country, which would have meant they should have been a three seed in the NCAA tournament or thereabouts. And the selection committee put them in an 8-9 yeah. game, which meant they got to play a one seed in the second round, and as it turned out, means a one seed, Illinois, had to play a top 10 team in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So, how much sympathy do you feel for Illinois? How much did the selection committee screw up and ultimately screw Illinois? Oof. That's a... <sighs> screw them? I'm not so sure. I mean, I think, and I will say this, uh, you were right, uh, because yesterday's people were like, oh, you didn't... You didn't talk about this, but we did talk about this in, the, in terms of the first eight seeds, I believe, were the first eight teams in the yep, net. Yep. And then they, and then it was Colgate Loyola, and Loyola, Colgate Chicago. And Loyola Chicago. And we did talk about that. It's like, well, if that's the case, then what's the point of the net? Like, well, I, if you don't want to say they're the next seed or the, you know, the three seed or whatever, that's fine. But to jump to the eighth line off a of ten in the net, I don't know what you're. It's like you were saying you had a lot of numbers in terms. Of you're you're arguing against your own metric at that point. So why have it? Um, you know, screwed. I'm not sure if they're screwed. I mean, you got to show them and win the game. I thought, I thought Loyola Chicago was really, really good. He, I, he's obviously a really good coach. I'm surprised, uh, and I do believe that the UNLV job was offered to him before TJ Osselberger. Um, was it TJ or Marvin? Uh, it was before TJ. Okay, yeah. it was before TJ. Okay, I'm actually surprised. Not to UNLV, but I am surprised he has stuck around there. That that does surprise me. Well, a he hasn't little. been any good. Well, just but guys get jobs off Final Four runs all the time. Because okay, the, I mean okay. that's what I'm saying. They always, I mean, he went to the Final Four. Guys get, they'll be, I don't know, I don't know who's going to offer a job to the Oral Roberts guy, but someone's offering him a job. Here's, whether he's good or not. Here's the fascinating part about Porter Moser at Loyola Chicago. He has been a head coach in college basketball at three different schools for a total of 17 seasons now. He's made the NCAA tournament twice. This is only the right. second time right. he's been a head coach for almost two decades. He's made it twice. Just to give you a little bit of context, Marvin Menzies is a coach. He's been a head coach for 12 years. He's made it five times. Dave Rice went twice in four and a half years. T.J. Otzelberger's been twice in five years. In 17, Porter Moser has been twice. In 17 seasons, he's had seven teams under 500. And prior to his final four run at Loyola, his first six seasons at Loyola, he was 89-105. and he was 16 games under 500 over the course of six seasons. You say you're surprised I'm nobody surprised. else has hired him. Oh, after the I'm final four run, he didn't get fired before I, the final four but run. But what happens in college basketball is the final four run. He becomes the hot guy and the you know the guy that everyone wants, and guys get offers off that. I don't know what other offer he would have gotten from other than UNLV. Um, maybe he just wants to live in that part of the country. I don't. I don't know why he turned down UNLV. I, I have no idea. I wasn't involved in the discussions, obviously. But when a guy goes to the Final Four, it's usually that's his to jump. I'm telling you, I don't know what jobs are going to be open, but let's take just the Oral Roberts coach. Um, who else right now? I don't think it would. Tinkle probably wouldn't leave Oregon State. Uh, he's probably like settled there now for the for the rest of his career. But guys like that, whether they deserve it or not, they get jobs and. Again, let's see, you know, again, we don't know what's going to be open in the next several weeks, but he, let's say he makes another Final Four run. I'll be shocked if someone doesn't offer him a job because that's what people fall in love with these March stories and these guys get these jobs off like one or two weeks and not what they've done their entire career. Um, 
you know, again, I, I thought they were really good yesterday. Uh, Illinois, you know, Illinois play, had to play their game, had to play Loyola Chicago's game. And, you know, the Cameron Crespo, what's the Cameron Crespo? That kid? Crutwig? Crutwig? You gotta love that kid. He's the kid at the Y. <laughs> He's the kid at the Y dominating, like, with all the with all the fundamental feet and the left-handed hook and everything. Um it's a cool story. It's a cool story. for it, bl- it blew up a lot of brackets, I'll tell you that. I was shocked how many times Loyola used Crutwig to either double or hard hedge off a ball screen, and he would rip the dribble of the guard. Like, he just stole the dribble of Ayo Tosunmu like three <laughs> times yeah, in that that's game. That's the other thing. And the I'm first like, team All-American. How? Yeah, the first team All-American. The uh, YMCA guys out there like stealing the ball. He did it, and he didn't. He, like you said, he didn't do it just one time. Yeah. He, you know, he doubled each time and stole it. And I'm like, this is the first team All-American out here. The biggest thing I noticed from watching that game is that it it didn't it did not feel like Loyola was truly upsetting Illinois. It like you watched it and you felt like Illinois belongs on the court. Right. Right. Or Loyola right. Belongs, belongs on the, on the court, court with, with Illinois. Yes. Yes. It wasn't like even. Even Oral Roberts, like the Abe Smith guy, was right. just they drilled right. deep threes yeah. in that game. Like there was a level of okay, like this is this is still an upset. But Loyola Chicago belonged on the floor with Illinois. Like you watched that game and thought, well, hell, Loyola could have gone fifteen and three in the Big Ten this year because yeah. they were good. Like they were they were, really were, good. They, were they were Illinois equal, and yeah. in that game they were better than Illinois and beat them. And so it didn't even like they're underdogs and seed underdogs and everything, but it didn't. It didn't feel like you were watching some magical upset. No, it felt like you were didn't. watching oh, the better teams yeah. winning this game. And for, like you said, for the most part, teams that have advanced, in some ways you get that feeling. Not as much as this one, though. And, you know, they go back to CBS. And I, I think I was in the same boat. I'm watching the halftime show, and they all said Illinois would come back. And I probably was in that boat, too, saying, can they do this for another half? Can they really keep these guys down for another half the way Illinois has played and uh, how, how they've looked on the tournament? I mean, a ton of brackets had them winning it. Uh, and they did, and I was as surprised as anyone. I would have kind of been along those guys' lines at the halftime that they were going to come back and win the game. Yeah, I, I, I just mean, assumed they would. I mean, I don't know. It's probably a bad assumption, but I had I could not believe that they couldn't get back into it to the point where they made a run. They ne- and they never did make. No, a they run. never like, like made a run. They got to within two or one. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, now it'll just they'll just win the game. It was always eight or more. Like, I mean, they they, they beat them. The Loyola Chicago beat yeah. them. And it's again to go back to Porter Mosier. It's fascinating because he had a Final Four run. Yeah. And now he's got another team. And to be honest, they should beat well, Oregon State. And, yeah, and then they might get Houston in the Elite Eight. I Who almost lost to Rutgers. Loyola Chicago. Oh, yeah. They might be favored in the next two games. Like, they, they might be. They, they probably should get to the Final Four at this point. It might be a disappointment if they don't. So, it's Porter Moser is fascinating because he might, he might have as a coach 17 years, two NCAA tournament appearances in 17 years. But two Final Fours in 17 years, which would be one of the most bizarre resumes you've ever seen. To just simply never make the NCAA tournament, but the few times you do, ah, we're in the Final Four. I mean, Houston's a two seed, but Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, Houston, and Syracuse, one of those is in the Final Four. Yeah. We don't know which one, but, and Houston got fortunate there against Rutgers to get out yesterday, but one of those will be in the Final Four. And of those right now is what you're saying, Loyola, Oregon State, Houston, Syracuse, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if it's Loyola. We're going to talk about Syracuse uh, when we get to the Mountain West in terms of dealing with the, the zone and, and what's happened with them winning two straight. But, yeah, I mean, no one, if anyone's fallen over, if Loyola Chicago gets in the Final Four, then you'd be, you're be you not paying attention, yeah. especially to this turn. Yeah, and at this point, they probably they might be the best team in that region that's, yeah. that's left over. All right, coming up next, Justin Emerson's going to join the show because, well, the Golden Knights played a game last night. Not very well, though. 
It's cut off though. Martinez with Marcia. So then mishandled by Haig. He wasn't expecting that. Carter on the breakaway down the middle. Toe save, but now it gets by. Jeff Carter the goal, and it's three to one Los Angeles. It's the press box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now is Justin Emerson from the Las Vegas Sun. You can follow him on Twitter at J15. Emerson, Justin, how nervous are you coming on this morning? Every time I come on this show, I'm nervous that I said something in a press conference that you're going to play the audio back to me. So very uh, is the answer to your question. Do you go back racking your brain to remember every question you've asked in the last week? I do. I'm like, I didn't say anything dumb, did I? Which, like, I don't know. Sometimes it slips out, and I don't even know that I did. So, I guess, I guess, what did I do? Well, we'll keep you on nothing, edge. You'll just nothing, have to nothing. wait till the end of the end of the interview to find out how dumb you really are. So, you got a big TV, though, didn't you? I did get a big TV. I got a nice new TV for the living room. Got to watch uh, some March Madness this weekend and March Golden Knights, and it was nice. March Madness, you saw the Kings making their playoff run. Forget oh, March Jesus. Madness, you out of your mind? Come on. The Kings. <laughs> All right. All right, Justin. What the hell happened yesterday? Why did the Golden Knights play like one of their worst games in franchise history? Uh, because sometimes uh, over a long season, you're going to play some bad games sometimes, and that just happens. And You know, they, they, they did look really bad through the first two periods. Uh, I think they only had 18 shots on goal or something like that. They just couldn't do anything offensively. Third period, third period, I thought was a lot better. I think they had 24 shots or something like that on goal. So they really, they really dialed up the offense. And other than the Carter breakaway, really didn't allow anything to the Kings. So I pushed back that it was uh, that bad of a performance. It, it was pretty bad for the first two periods, but overall, I, I, I think they found their sea legs a little bit there in the third. So is Patch ready that much of a difference? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, the team has struggled at five on three historically anyway. Um, so I'm not sure how much having Patch Ready out there would have helped. They were, you know, that five on three, 90 seconds or whatever it was, definitely wasn't good. I thought that was the turning point in the game. Being unable to score a goal there kind of dashed um, any hopes of being able to mount a comeback. Um, as far as Patch Ready goes, you always want to have them, but I don't know. I mean, maybe they would have played better with them, but. Uh, you know, you should be able to beat the Kings without him. Does the team just play harder for Robin Leonard? <laughs> <laughs> because they won with Leonard on Friday? Of course. Play. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. That, if there's one thing that we've, <laughs> we've picked up over the first half of the season, it's that the team definitely doesn't play well in front of Marc-Andre Fleury, and they can't win with Fleury and that. That's definitely my biggest takeaway. They don't like him. Oh, they, they say it all the yeah. time in post-game press conferences. They don't like this Fleury guy. Yeah, yeah, they really can't stand him, can they? <laughs> so, okay, on the idea of not having Pacioretty, we saw earlier in the year Mark Stone miss a game, and the offense wasn't as good as we're used to seeing in that one either. So if we're looking towards the playoffs and the upcoming trade deadline, like, is there a level of, hey, this team might need to add a forward because if they lose one forward to, to injury in the playoffs, their scoring depth goes away because that third line loses Alex Tuck and it's just a bunch of nobodies that can't score? I, I do I do think that trying to add a top nine forward is should be a priority at the trade deadline. I don't think we're going to get a big splash on the Tatar, Stone, Leonard level that we've grown accustomed to over the last couple of trade deadlines, but I do think that 
you know, last year they got Nick Cousins for a fourth-round pick, and that's, that's a decent third-line forward that, that you could use. So I think a guy like like that uh, could help the Golden Knights. Because you're right, I mean, Stone or Pacioretty goes down, and in those two games that they haven't played, they've combined for one goal. And whether or not that's the key reason or it was just whatever it was, I mean, it, it definitely is a big thing. And I think you're right, I think the top line can survive without a Stone or a Pacioretty, but when you look at that, third line yesterday that I believe it was Tomas Nosek, Nicholas Waugh, and Cody Glass. I mean, that, I, I don't know where the offense is coming from on that line. So, trying to add a score that you can throw in uh, should somebody get hurt, I, I, I do agree. should be important at the deadline. To that point then, because we've heard in recent days some stuff Kelly McCrimmon has said, uh, would you be more apt to follow along, it appears, at least until proven otherwise, the path they're going to take and not make a big move at the deadline? Or have you kind of seen enough in these instances where you say, you know what, another forward might be good if you can make the deal and not, you know, give up a ton? I I would go out and try to improve the team as much as you can. I understand the cap situation, but cap's always always workable around the trade deadline. We saw it last year where they laundered Robin Leonard through Toronto to get him at a million-dollar cap number. Uh, so a little creativity can, can work. And when you're looking at the Golden Knights window for contention, it's probably not going to be in five years. Just based on the numbers, the cap numbers that the team has, this, this might not be a very good team five years from now. This is a very good team right now. So while you don't want to mortgage your entire future, I think that when you're looking at this team and you're like, okay, anything short of what? Coming out of the West Division kind of feels like a disappointment. Maybe trading that first-round pick that might be that 27th, 28th, 29th overall pick isn't the worst thing. And they really have been loath to trade first-round picks, this might be the year to do it. If you can go get a forward that can slide into your top six or even onto your third line that can prepare to jump into your top six should an injury happen, I think that this is the year that trading a first-round pick makes a lot of sense for the Golden Knights to try to go get a scoring threat. Justin out here suggesting they're not going to be good in five years. What is that? Uh-oh. <laughs> Come on. I mean, maybe, on. They, maybe they will be, but you look at the cap numbers, you look at everything, and this team is definitely built to win now, next year, maybe the year after that. So I think you need to capitalize on your window when it's open, and it's very open for Vegas right now. The window's going to be open every year. This is a special team, Justin. They can win the cup every single season. I mean, they've existed for four years, and that's been the case. So who knows? Maybe they are going to be a conference final team every two out of every three years. But uh, I don't know. Maybe not. By the way, how can you say that with the glasser still a young kid? <laughs> glasser. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got Krebs coming, you got Brisson coming. This team is built to win forever, right? You, uh, it appears, as we said a little earlier, um, they're going to go back and forth now in the goalies. You okay with that? Sure. Um, I think uh, once the playoffs come, or probably it'll be a lot like what we saw last year. I mean, it was only seven games of regular season before the season got cut short, but it was. Flurry Leonard, Flurry Leonard uh, through the regular season, but then once the playoffs came, it was I mean it was clear that Leonard was the guy. So maybe that happens again this year, where it's Leonard. Maybe it, maybe it is Flurry based on the phenomenal season that he's had. But through the regular season, with I think the next you know twenty some odd games or however many they have left, twenty five, twenty eight, uh, are going to happen in like fifty days or something like that. So getting your goalies rest, I think, is important. And I mean, making the playoffs. Is for this team. So even if one of the goalies is struggling, keep getting them out there. You know, the re- rest of the regular season doesn't matter. It's for the Golden Knights. It's just making sure people are healthy and ready to go come playoff time. 
and we'll find out which one they play harder for. And, and that's right, yeah. And, and I, that will be interesting <laughs> in, the, in the playoffs to see, to see who that goalie will be because I don't think you can run in every other game rotation. But, I mean, Leonard played 16 out of 20 when we were kind of told that it was going to be kind of every other game. So we'll see. So, okay, how do you, what do you think is going to be the deciding factor for Pete DeBoer once we get to the playoffs? Because obviously, if he was deciding right now, based on the way Fleury has played, Fleury is the leader, but they're both going to make, I don't know, what, how many games, roughly 12 more starts the rest of the season or something like that. Like, what do you think the deciding factor is at the end of the regular season for DeBoer when it comes to who his playoff goalie is? I think it very well might be the hot hand. I mean, if we're looking at, you know, each guy's last, six, seven starts or whatever, and let's say Leonard's fantastic and Flurry's just terrible and runs out of gas at the end of the season. I mean, would you still play Flurry because his regular season was so good, or do you want to play the goalie who's riding the hot streak? And, and that's, that's a really tough decision, and I'm glad I don't have to make it because uh, I don't take criticism very well. So when, <laughs> um, so when DeVore has to make this decision come playoff time, it is going to be a very tough one if and if Flurry's going to keep playing at a 9.30 clip save percentage for the rest of the season, I think that makes it a pretty easy choice. But I, I, I've said it a couple of times, but we will see. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to predict because, you know, a couple weeks before the trade deadline last year, you never would have thought Robin Leonard would play a game for the Golden Knights because, well, he wasn't on the Golden Knights. So. Who is giving you criticism that you're struggling to take it from? Um, a lot of random people on the internet whose <laughs> names I don't even know. It's just like, they're like, hey, you suck. And I'm like, oh, yeah. mean. And then I just think about it for the rest of the day. That's uh, the whole point of the internet, though. Isn't that why you log on to Twitter to get people to tell you you suck? Well, I like it when people are nice to me. It just doesn't happen as much. So. <laughs> well, why do you keep coming on this show? Yeah. I don't know. Especially at this hour. It's bad because I at least know you. I don't know. <laughs> Especially at this hour. Uh, real quick, so I, I tweeted this yesterday. I don't know if it's true, and it's only two games. I get that, but is this the Colorado we all thought existed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Avalanche are, are terrifying. And um, if, I think the Wild are good. The Blues are probably making the playoffs. If I'm the Golden Knights, you're looking at a playoff matchup with Colorado to come out of the West Division. Um, and I think that Vegas, they... They shut them out in Colorado. I think that was a big big win for their psyche earlier this year because the previous three games, even though one of them was a win, they didn't look great against the Avalanche. I thought the Avalanche were a faster team. They just looked like a better one. And I remarked with some of the other writers in practice, I'm like, you know, if Vegas runs into this team right now in the playoffs, they're in, they're in a lot of trouble. So I'm, And that goes back to trying to pick up another forward or, or add to this team at the deadline because if, if you're – McCrimmon and McPhee right now, you're looking at it, it's like, can we beat the Avalanche in a seven-game series? The answer is maybe, but you really want that answer to become probably or yes, and if you've got to add to the team in any way, I think think you got to do it. They should just trade for Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right? See, being a GM's easy. Just nope. trade for the best players. We'll give you Stoner, Glasser, and Marchie. <laughs> No, you don't have to give up those guys. Just give them, like, Alec Martinez or something. It'll be fine. Alec Martinez and, like, a future third-round pick. Oh, there you go. Don't trade Tucky. Yeah, throw in a third. Maybe they'll give back, like, a sixth or something like that, too. you got to get a little extra value out of it. They'll be the Raiders, and they'll throw in the Raiders trade. And we'll give you a sixth. Um, All right, last one for you, Justin. Uh, You're going to escape this without any criticism for me. Uh, Which coach looks the best in the gold track suit? 
Ryan Craig, one of the assistants. I think he looks great. I don't know. I don't know why I was able to answer that so quickly. <laughs> uh, Are you paying attention? <laughs> you must be paying close but, attention. But, but you, I mean, you look at the coaches. It looks like a player. Good for him. Now, here's my question for you, Tyler. Would you wear one of those gold tracksuits? Oh, absolutely. Oh, especially yeah, if I was they, a coach or a player. Gave, if they give this kid a, a free tracksuit, they'd have it on every oh, day if it was free. Oh, man. If I, if I was a coach or a player, I'd be wearing it on days they didn't wear the gold jerseys. Yeah. Justin, he doesn't wear pants that aren't elastic. Out to the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Like, these, those are wonderful. They say, look ridiculous. Say that again, Jared, because nobody heard you. But I, I think you need to repeat it. Justin. Tyler doesn't wear pants that don't have elastic in them. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> have they worn those weird gold helmets lately? They haven't, right? When's the last time they wore well, the gold helmets? Well, no wonder lately. they keep losing. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious because I, I hate the gold helmets. I am curious how they look with the with the reverse retro red jerseys. Oh. I, that one I'm kind of curious I'm not even sure if I want to see it in a game. It's like a picture of what it might look like, and it's like, oh, okay, that'll work. Or more likely, oh, that, that's oh, work. bad. I will tell you exactly what they'll look like, Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. It's exactly, it's exactly what that'll look like together. Well, he is Justin Emerson from the Las Vegas Sun. Follow him on Twitter at J15Emerson. Justin, as always, thank you for Enjoy joining us. Enjoy that TV, kid. Thanks, guys. Appreciate see it. See you. So uh, we'll stick with the Golden Knights because, yeah, they played. Maybe not as big of a deal as Kevin Kruger getting hired, and maybe they'd want to forget they played because it wasn't very good against Ed's L.A. Kings. Why would it be? Coglin again fails to clear. Far side, it's a point shot from Velarde. Knocked down. It's still loose. Jamming away. It's under Flurry. Now they score. Sean Walker was on the doorstep, and it's a 1-0 Kings lead. Ayafalo back for Downey to the right, Kopitar, right circle, back to the left, Ayafalo shoots, score! Easy tap in for Brown. Ayafalo wound up like he was going to slap it, and then made the seam pass to the right side of the crease. Dustin Brown buries it. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Oh, Ed, your kings. Why bother? Your why bother kings are coming. Sweep, why bother try to sweep those guys? I don't well, they're still out of a playoff spot, aren't they, though? They're out, but it's close. Is it close? It's a lot closer than people thought when I made that prediction, I'll tell you that. We still have half the season. That's right? okay. We That's okay. Have... Well, even in half the season, it's closer than people thought they would be. <laughs> I, oh, they're horrible. They're horrible. It's a solid squad. Ed is taking his victory lap halfway through the season, and they haven't even qualified for the playoffs yet. <laughs> Your prediction of they will make the playoffs, they're not in a playoff spot. Hey. It's only halfway through the season, I, and you're trying to take a victory lap. I got to call the coach and say, why isn't Big Cal in, in net Big every time Cal. against the Golden Knights? This guy's awesome against the Golden Knights, this Calvin <laughs> Peters in person. 41 yesterday he faced. Oh, Big Cal. Why would they start anybody else? I have, Against the Knights, I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea. I mean, you know, Quickie can go against every, everyone else, but Cal's got to go against the, uh, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. So the Kings right now are five points out. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm not over the top there. on St. Louis, by the way. I'm not over the I'm top not. on St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> not over the top in the Blues. Uh, <laughs> other than uh, other than tonight, I'm sure David Fraun will have three goals because he always seems to score against the Knights. So uh, we'll see there. But, uh, no, I mean, I think the Kings have proven to be better than people thought they would be. I that, do think that, that wasn't your prediction, though. 
Well, no. I mean, the prediction okay. was make the playoffs. Yeah. So we'll see. Just, just, we'll just see. saying. At no, the end I know of the, the season, at the yeah. end of the season, if they finish fifth, then I'll say it was a bad prediction. Okay. Yeah. Will you though? Because I feel like you're going to say the same thing you're saying right now, which is they were closer than you thought. I probably will. <laughs> That's probably what I'm going to say. He's going th- those goalposts. Instead of them moving yeah. back, they're going to start creeping forward. Yes. Yes. So I can only say that if they're fifth. If they're sixth or worse, I will say it was a bad prediction. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So the Golden Knights lose last night. I'm going to have to pull this audio. <laughs> you are. And not only do they lose, they look uh, pretty terrible for the majority of that game. It was almost like they would have preferred to have been at home watching the NCAA tournament instead of playing a hockey game. On Sunday, did any Canadian teams make it in the tournament? They didn't have Max Pacioretty, and we've seen this team play a couple of games without Pacioretty, a couple of games uh, without Pacioretty or Stone, I should say. And it's the same thing after they got shut out with Mark Stone out of the lineup. This team doesn't have scoring depth. The fourth line doesn't score at all, and the third line scores when Alex Tuck is there. But when you take Alex Tuck off that third line and put him in the top six because somebody's hurt, they don't have any scoring depth. And when you look at the playoffs, I think that's going to be a big problem for this team because they're ultimately one injury away from having a third line that's useless. Yeah, and the, talking to Justin, I was—I've been a little surprised. Maybe not. Maybe they're not playing, tipping their hand. I get that, but you know, and I know Dave Shane had an article with uh, with Kelly McCrimmon and talking about that. We feel good where we're at. I don't know how you can do say that. Now, again, maybe they have they'd have something worse. We don't know. And come the trade deadline, they're going to make a move. We don't know. Um, but right now, to sit here and look at your team, and you know what, halfway through their first and points percentage, so they're playing really, really well. They have played well, but you have to think beyond it. You and I talked last week. Like the weird thing about this league is you're not really seeing all the other good teams, right? Because you're not you're seeing their scores and you're seeing what they do, but you haven't seen the Golden Knights against them. Like you haven't matched up, and they won't until. Unless they get, you know, past two rounds of the, their, the Honda Division playoffs. So they have a long way to go. But I don't know if you can look into that those other divisions and really say that you're okay right now. Yeah. I, yeah. I just Because, one, you, uh, look, they played really well. But let's be honest, a large part of leading the league in points percentage is after a few teams, their division stinks. So I don't – you look at Tampa Bay. You look at some of those Canadian teams. How can you sit there and say you're completely okay? I just don't think you can. And maybe they're not saying that. Maybe that's what they're putting out there publicly. But what if it's true? Yeah, it's – so when we get to the the final four of the, the Stanley yeah, Cup that's playoffs, when... it's going to be fascinating because we're, we're kind of seeing it in the NCAA tournament right now where we didn't have very many non-conference games. So right. it, it was harder right. to judge how teams were. And we're seeing it with the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten was, if you looked at Ken Palm or net rankings, they had like seven of the top 15 teams in the country, and now most of them are already gone. Like yeah. Ohio State and Illinois, already gone. So it's we're going to see that when we get to the Final Four of the NHL playoffs as well, where, yeah. okay, the Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche both look like excellent teams. They don't play anybody and from they get any Tampa other Bay division. In the first, uh, those final four. Maybe they blow Tampa Bay out, and it's like maybe wow. They get beat or, by, beat in five. Yeah, or maybe they get beat right in five, and it's oh wow, okay, this division wasn't any good at right. all. They just beat up on each other right. the entire season. That's what the semifinals are going to be like, and we don't know what to expect. 